5 o'clock on the Blitz. Work is over. It's time to let that bird fly. Free that bird, boys. Tulsa, happy Wednesday. It is another edition of the show here on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. I'm Colby Daniels, along with the 2023 Oklahoma Sportscaster of the Year, Jeremy Poplin. Scott File is on the other side of the glass in the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studio. We say hello to Colin Kennedy via the Blitz hotline. Colin with SoonersIllustrated.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Colin, my man, what is happening on this Wednesday this week? Oh, a little switch up to the schedule, but, you know, I'm on the 399 payroll for Oklahoma's broadcaster of the year, so anything <laughs> that he says must go. So here I am on the yeah. broadcast. <laughs> Uh, that's hilarious. I, I clearly need a raise, Colin. A hundred percent. I think we should go ahead and start these negotiations now. Live on. If the that's air. what you're getting, I'm yeah. <laughs> and uh, as Kobe knows, my hands are tied on all of that. <laughs> Completely tied. Completely tied. Uh, what is happening in in Colin's world? Oh, I mean a lot. Uh, you've got. Junior day coming up for Oklahoma this weekend, so big recruiting visit stretch for OU. Got the DFW Coaches Clinic for myself coming up as well. So I'll be, you know, swapping handshakes and shooting the crap with guys that, that coach the this sport in the area. And then going to be out at the East-West Shrine Bowl as well. So some NFL draft coverage coming up for me and then, Got a seven-on-seven seven tournament this weekend, too. So there's a lot going on, I would say. And uh, and then you've got, obviously, the phone call that comes in from the boss, that being Pop. So we're, we're shifting, we're moving, and it's all about agility these days. I mean, boss man, I got the message from Colby. It was like, hey, we're doing this. So <laughs> we might need to <laughs> adjust who the level of boss is here. What's, uh, what's the talking points behind the scenes right now, Colin, with everything that's going on? Uh, with what your coverage is, what's kind of the most uh, highly debated topic right now that's happening amongst the people that and the circles that you run in, whether it be coaches or in uh, in some of the recruiting landscape? Uh, there's a lot of avenues you can go down here, right? I mean, if if you want to get into OU specific stuff, there's the OU specific stuff, but I would also say just kind of the the general stuff that's being talked about right now is is really the recruiting landscape picking back up and some of the changes in the coaching world and then obviously the impact that has on the transfer portal a lot of guys are obviously starting to take visits again these high school coaches are getting college coaches on their campuses because these guys are on the road visiting guys and so I think the the connectivity between the high school level and the college level has really started to ramp back up and I think because of that that's obviously where you kind of get into the whole debate of how guys are perceiving the level of interest between their high school players and then a college's particular transfer portal targets, things of that nature. But, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different stuff, right? From an OU perspective, it's probably the last two offensive line targets left on the board in the transfer portal for Oklahoma, the Hatchet brothers from Washington. Then that leads you down the whole rabbit hole of, the offensive line going into next season, and the the, uh, the debate there. 
And then obviously I, I think the other part of this too is again, those visit weekends, you know, this is, this is the time of the year where college programs really start to turn the page from the senior class to the junior class. And for example, Texas just had its big junior day weekend last weekend. They picked up a couple commitments. Oklahoma's will be this weekend, but Texas A&M's second junior day visit weekend of the month is going to be this weekend as well. So some overlap there. And so, that's kind of everything that's been taking place. It's, all right, well, now that we're turning the page on the transfer portal to a degree and the recruiting classes are turning over as well, we're really starting to sort of write a new book when it comes to how these teams are going to build these rosters going into next year and beyond. And so it's, it's almost like a reset button as we wind down the, the month of January. Before we get into the recruiting element, I'm curious, what is the expectation of the type of players that will be available in the next portal window after spring football? Is that more of a, a you know, you might take a gamble on some players and maybe there's not as much uh, traction with, with the players at that stage? Uh, or, or how do you, you know, are you, are you really going to be able to help yourself? I mean, I wouldn't imagine there's a lot of guys that are, are going to go find starting jobs other places at that point after the spring yeah that's my biggest thing with it is the, the the fall window is typically for guys who are either wanting to elevate from one level of ball to another or maybe they put a lot of good stuff on tape and something's happened and they need to leave that program for a better opportunity it's, it's kind of the upgrade frame of the year when you wind down the actual football part of this and guys with momentum take that into the portal and see what their market is. The spring window, it's, it's somewhat difficult to find guys who are verified studs. Now, that being said, it's also a time frame where, for example, you know, Oklahoma went out and brought in DeJon Terry for the summer. Brennan Thompson was a, a spring guy that ended up arriving on campus in the summer. So there are talents out there, but – Typically, it's kind of that time window where you're seeing guys who haven't won a starting job or they're, they're not necessarily pleased with the trajectory of their career or maybe they've had kind of a rocky exit meeting of sorts with the coaching staff. That's typically who you see hit the portal in the spring, which is why that fall window is so important because, again, really darn good football players want to elevate their situation as soon as possible, and that's that initial portal window for them. That's why I was kind of laughing the other day, and it was a tweet that I saw from Stuart Mandel. And Stuart Mandel was talking about, you know, everyone talking about Alabama and the timing of this and losing players. Um, it's not like that they don't have the spring portal and everyone should buckle up because, you know, they, that's where they can do some damage in the spring portal. And I thought, wait a minute, are you really trying to compare – the first uh, open session for the portal to the spring portal because it's not even close, my man. And I, you know, I had retweeted that and uh, it was just like, have you kind of been paying attention to anything that's happened on the landscape of recruiting at all? Or are you just throwing that out there to fit a certain narrative? That's the thing too is, and this is something to keep in mind as well, is that spring window in general is kind of about the team that you currently have and addressing that roster relative to the next season and then building it out from there, which is obviously the NCAA's open period basically spans from now through March. Guys can visit campuses, go on visit weekends. And so 
staffs are so busy recruiting to their own roster, coaching that roster, and then trying to add guys in that junior class set to be seniors. It's not like they're buckling down trying to figure out, okay, which elite player is going to hit the portal after the spring game, because that's just not necessarily the case. And look, that, there are guys that will hit the portal in the spring window, and I, I, I want to reiterate this. There are, there are going to be talented players, but I think that's also kind of a time frame where on the off chance that a major coaching change happens, that could be another situation where maybe some guys hit the portal that shouldn't be hitting the portal around that time of year. But the bottom line here is the spring is more about the settled-down versions of these rosters that were just built out through December and January from signing day to the transfer portal's first window. And so to believe that it's going to be much different or even better is kind of a misled direction if you haven't been paying attention to the last two months. In terms of, of the junior day, Colin, and, and the recruiting, um, how, how much have these junior days changed the last couple of years and the, the focus? I know that we see kids getting recruited earlier and earlier and earlier, uh, there's also seemingly a lot more wiggle room from the time that they're juniors to, you know, potentially pulling kids out of, of other programs via the portal. So, you know, what is the, how is that navigated? Has it changed? Has the approach changed at all the last couple of years? I think there's a lot more pressure to make the most of it, right? Because these timelines continue to get bumped up. Guys are committing earlier and earlier. Oklahoma, I just saw one of their 2026 commits. So basically that dude's a sophomore in high school. He's already considered an Oklahoma football player somewhere down the line. And when you look at this junior class, I think, first of all, the 2025 cycle is going to be very talented. I really like this class compared to the 2024 cycle. I think there's a lot of depth, and there's a lot of depth, especially at some prime positions across the country in 2025. And so when you consider that, especially if you're a team like Oklahoma, for example, who's trying to pursue, let's say, elite-level defensive linemen or elite-level defensive backs, and you're trying to land elite offensive linemen. Yeah, I I think a junior day like this coming up this weekend where you have, I believe it's more than 20 visitors coming into Norman, like you've got to buckle that down because, again, a a lot of these things used to be like, all right, let's kind of – turn the page, let's shake some hands, let's hang out with everybody and kind of set the tone going into the summer and beyond. But now that these guys are basically committing well before the summer wraps up these days, I mean, there are a lot of guys that have already told me they'd like to have their commitments done in March. So if that's truly the case, this January 27th junior day weekend for Oklahoma and then all these other junior days that are happening, I mean, Texas landed like two or three guys from their their junior day weekend on the 20th. Oklahoma may not land a ton of commitments, but they at least have to set the tone because, again, you never know how that's going to pay off over the next month or two as these timelines continue to get moved forward. All right, Colin Kennedy is our guest here on the Blitz 1170. Colin, uh, you kind of made reference to this earlier, but offensive line for Oklahoma. Um, I had a very just basic tweet the other day, and someone said, are, are you trolling OU fans with that? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, it was about Bill Biedenboe. It's like half of them want him gone, and I've, I've heard a lot more angst and anger towards Bill Biedenboe, it feels like, over the last three or four months than I can remember ever. Uh, it's not something that I quite understand at all, so maybe you can help uh, explain a little bit of that and, and what type of 
whether it's real pressure or not, but perceived pressure that there is to upgrade the offensive line at Oklahoma? Yeah, I think the frustrating part of this new age of college football, right, is that people people just believe that the concepts of supply, demand, and availability, things of that nature, feasibility, location, all of these general concepts we apply in everything in society, for some reason that just doesn't apply to offensive line. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you why. I, I just continue to bang home the fact that gigantic people who move well and are actually good at what they do are not very common. That's why you see so many spring leagues, for example, struggle immensely to keep themselves up because offensive line talent at every level of the sport is scarce. And because of that, that's going to continue to put more pressure on Oklahoma, on Bill Beanbo, because these big dudes that are good, a couple of different things. In the era of the transfer portal, they can now go wherever the hell they want. And that's truly the case. I mean, if you are, if you are an offensive lineman at some FCS school and you have a relatively good season, you're going to command a pretty penny in the transfer portal with name, image, and likeness really driving up an, un, an unmonitored market, right, that, that just kind of lets you willy-nilly determine what your cap is. And so the spending, the movement, some of the, the let's just be honest, the tampering that takes place, with these offensive linemen because of how important that they are, it's insane. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. And then you have the natural turnover, right? I mean, a positive turn negative. All of OU's offensive line has gone to the NFL draft. Tyler Guyton's probably going to be a first-round pick. Walter Rouse, who's going to be the Shrine Bowl down here in DFW, he's probably a day-two pick, maybe early day three at the worst. These other cats are going off, and then – but that's the other part of this as well. Caden Green was supposed to be a foundational piece for you, and all of a sudden, like I mentioned, some of those other things that are hard to deal with these days, they take into effect, and it's, it's kind of unprecedented. But for some reason, it's supposed to be something that everyone's supposed to be anticipating as we adjust to what offensive line recruiting is like. But, again, I, I think when you look at this offensive line, it's undoubtedly the biggest question mark about this Oklahoma football team going into 2024 especially relative to the SEC and what not just that conference brings to the table, but in my opinion, you look at the teams specifically that Oklahoma plays, Tennessee's got a couple high-end NFL draft caliber defensive linemen. Ole Miss, you can probably say the same. Obviously, they got to play Alabama and LSU. Then you've got Texas, who's returning a lot on the defensive line and just added a couple bodies out of the transfer portal. Like, this isn't getting any easier up front, and now all this turnover that's in the spotlight is very difficult to navigate. And There's only so many dudes to go around. There's only so many avenues you can take to replace that talent. Now, OU's bringing in about five new freshmen. Almost all of them, I believe, are on campus currently. Uh, We'll see how those guys develop in a short amount of time relative to a potential opportunity in that starting five, but hey, they added three transfer guys in the transfer portal. They're in pursuit of two individuals from Washington who one visited over the past weekend, another might be visiting this this weekend. So it's really all about trying to figure out where are you in the market, how much talent is actually available, and how must you approach all this because of some of the circumstances that you face 
how how does that impact your strategy? And and that's why I think again, you know, you look at like this 2025 class, I, I, the supply demand concept how, that just doesn't apply to offensive line recruiting. I mean, 2024 was a very bad year for offensive line recruiting, and I remember a couple cycles ago. There was not a lot of offensive line talent across the country. But then it also comes down to, okay, if, even if it's just a bad cycle, how much of that talent is nearby? How much of that talent do you have relationships with? How much of that talent is feasible to try and get? And so I think a lot of this is going to be focused on because not only is OU's offensive line feature very uncertain going into next season, but there is a massive amount of talent in this 2025 class, specifically around the states of Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Kansas, Missouri, recruiting hotbeds for OU. And so, look, I, I, again, firmly believe that people don't grasp how hard it is to uphold a standard along the offensive line. But that's what Bill Beanbow has done time and again. And I remember once upon a time, people were wondering why OU took a transfer former tight end at TCU to play offensive tackle, and now the guy's probably going to get picked by the Dallas Cowboys or something. So it's a very weird world when we talk about offensive linemen, and I think Oklahoma's going to be fine. It just they really have to figure out how they can get this group better ahead of 2024 and then into the future. So, I mean, basically what you're saying is there are a ton of variables that not everyone really takes account of, and I think there are times where uh, it's as simple as saying – Everyone needs a villain, and because this individual has, for one reason or another, let you down in your perspective, the villain there to so many has now become Bill Biedenboe. Because I saw some flat-out outrage that they might have missed on certain individuals in the portal, and I'm like, man, there are so many factors that determine whether or not that a kid's going to go there. And it's almost like, Colin, sometimes we forget about free will as well. Like, all right, <laughs> like, like the kid doesn't have the right to choose where he wants to go uh, either. We kind of throw that out the window too when it comes to fitting a certain narrative when it comes to recruiting. Yeah, and and that's the thing is everyone needs a scapegoat when maybe the actions of the person that you should actually be blaming are not put in the public spotlight for one reason or another. And because again, there's only so many of those talents, one of those variables, those recruitments, those decisions get even more heightened from an emotional perspective. It's like, Oh, okay. You know, they had a decent shot, but it didn't pan out. All of a sudden turns into the sky is falling. And like, I'm going to give you an example. Like I won't name any names, but I heard one offensive lineman or his camp, that was involved with a couple of different power five schools was basically lying to both schools about how much money the other was going to pay him to just try and get top dollar. <laughs> and like people don't, people don't realize that's happening. And, and I'm not talking like small money either. I mean, we're talking like someone in this dude's camp is calling power five school X and saying, well, power five school Y is going to pay us significant X amount of dollars. And those are just the little things where it's like, you really want to blame someone for that? Like, of all things, you want to try and place blame on somebody because of something as crazy as that concept? And so it's frustrating, man. And I'm sure it's frustrating not just for someone like Bill Beanbow, who's really good at his job, but for all these coaches in general. I mean, there's just – there's no way to supervise this. There's no ability to monitor and put in regulations as far as how the stuff needs to go. And when you talk about offensive linemen specifically – I mean, that arguably is the position group of them all where it gets placed on the most 
maybe outside of defensive line. And I would probably argue offensive line is king of it all. So it's a weird time. It definitely applies to offensive line of scrimmage players. And for some reason, people are just looking for anyone to blame besides what's currently going on in college football. Those are probably, though, the same people that think that just playing for Oklahoma is a bigger prize than playing anywhere else and making a bunch of money, right? I mean, like, objectively. The reward is you get yeah, to play well, for OU. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you shouldn't be taking absurd amount of money from Ole Miss and Tennessee, the number one and number two collectives, basically, in all of college football. You should be donning that crimson and crane. It's like, all right, let's grow up a little bit. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I, I think – you can also just have like so many different body types and skill sets and standout types of talents out there that like the old days of taking a guy and developing him that gets lost because you see X five star hit the portal and all of a sudden he's commanding this amount of right. attention. It's like, no, I mean, sometimes you have to evaluate your board and take your takes from there and not necessarily be off the path based on, the chaos that ensued because of the portal and name image likeness and things of that nature. But yeah, it's, it's pretty wild, man. I mean, people kind of once hung their hat on all, they develop them and then they get them into the league. And now it's like, well, why the hell is X five star not wanting to play here? Because we're Oklahoma. It's like, well, maybe because the number one collective in the country at an SEC school convinced them otherwise. I don't know. It's just my best guess. I don't know guys. It's it's, a, it's crazy stuff to follow behind the scenes. Boy, is it! And it's probably well, you left out Ohio State yeah. because I saw I, I saw Lane Kiffin tweet that uh, Ohio State had spent thirteen million <laughs> this off season on portal players. Of course, he did. <laughs> sure, yeah. I, and here's the thing: is like, I mean, I look at it, I'm like, all right. I mean, sure. I, I remember one time someone had a rumor going that Marvin Harrison Jr. cashed like an eleven million dollar check or something to potentially come back and play. So. I don't know, a reflection on the the, uh, the unmonitored market, to say the least. But that's another one, too, a prime example. We're going beyond this offensive line stuff. Like, people place blame in silly places. Like, Caleb Downs, the unquestioned best player in the portal, was going to Georgia. Like, that was happening. And then one day it just, it just was, oh, oh, he's going to Ohio State. And it's like, who do you blame? I don't think it's anyone to blame because it's just this stuff is so crazy to deal with these days, man. Well, I mean, Lane is playing the game perfectly because there are a couple of ways that you can look at that. Um, one rumor that I read that said that Ohio State had spent uh, somewhere like $18 million potentially on this, um, or excuse me, Ole Miss had spent like $18 million. So I was either looking at it as Lane saying, all right, hey, you know what? Uh, you guys spent $5 million more million than what Ohio State did and patting them on the back, or continuing down that path of just reminding everyone that's involved with his collective and everything else that, oh, hey, we got to keep this momentum up. I know we spent a lot of money this year, but we've got to keep this going. That's that's the brilliance of Lane Kiffin. You just never know which one of those is actually going to be true with him. This is the other part of this. I well. just assumed it was the latter because he lost Judkins to Ohio State. <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I. I don't know. It's, it's kind of one of those things where if you lean into the joke, you can raise some dollars and cents behind the scenes, man. Like, I I know of some programs <laughs> that are taking some pretty wild strategies that are almost, like, comedic in value just to get some donors to give them more money. And so, and hey, look, like, I'm not saying this directly applies, but, I mean, just today, guys, like, 
the OU football Twitter account tweeted out NIL collective wicks. Yes. You know what I mean? I, I'm pretty sure that's the first time that's been done. And so if, if people out there haven't really grasped the, the nonsense that's going through college football, I'm like, it's good. It helps the players, all that stuff. But this stuff is going to be so hard to try and wrap your head around, to try and place, place blame on certain individuals because of what actually never happened in your mind. It's, it's something you really have to think about because it, in this day and age, basically, it's about who do you know and how much can you pay them. And outside of that, man, like the days of selling development, things of that nature, I really don't know that they're really going to be able to, to lean on that type of concept. Colin, it's the uh, championship round in the NFL, uh, so I'm curious. Do you have a preferred Super Bowl matchup? I, I, I'm i going with the Ravens. I can't stand the Chiefs, so I think I hate them in general, and then all the other stuff happened. And I don't know. The Chiefs have just become more and more of an annoying team over the years for me, and I, I really do like the Ravens as a franchise organization and then the players that they have on that team. I, I also think just the Ravens, offensively and defensively structured to go and win a championship. So I, I like Baltimore on, on one end. This is another thing too, man. Like I'm, I keep going back and forth on this Detroit-San Francisco game because I feel like beating San Francisco in their home turf, that defense, what it can do, it seems highly unlikely. But in a world where Brock Purdy, you know, if you look at the stat sheet from last week, you're like, all right, it was an okay game. No, it really wasn't. Um, and, and if that's the case again, I don't know. Like Detroit, if you told me that they wake up and they get things rolling early on out there against San Fran, having that guy try and play from behind and essentially take some of the elements out of that wide zone play action-based scheme, like that creates some intrigue to me. So I would love to see Detroit win the Super Bowl just for the storyline and then the content gold that we would get from like two weeks of Super Bowl media availabilities of Dan Campbell. But I also just think San Francisco is structured to, to be in this moment. And so I, I think it will be Baltimore and San Fran, but I'm pulling for Baltimore and Detroit. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) And that'll do it. There we go. Boo. Come on, man. Brock Purdy, well, Brock Purdy uh, one thing that we have learned is that uh, it's pretty amazing. I know that they played in some bad weather games at Iowa State, but uh, to see his level. And what's funny is is that everyone talked about the quality of game that he had. There's a reason why when we go to the scouting combine and we go through all these ridiculous things such as measuring the size of someone's hands and when they have small hands and everyone talks about it, Brock Purdy is example in Exhibit A. Because that dude cannot grip the football in wet weather conditions at all. So thank goodness, as a diehard Niner fan, that we at least have a good weather forecast coming up. Because Brock has proven in his uh, short career here in the league that if the ball is wet, he is going to have an off game. I will give him credit, though, that he made some big throws when they needed him to. Uh, and they still won when they played probably a, a C-minus, D-plus level game. So... Uh, that's just me looking for positives, though, but I completely get where you're coming from. Basically, what you're saying is good weather day guarantees the 49ers victory. Well, I hate to go out on guarantees, but uh, I like their chances. What an incredibly privileged concept of being honest with you. <laughs>
but hey, you, at least you have something to blame the, the loss on. If it, if it rains even a sprinkle and all yes. of a sudden Brock Purdy throws one incomplete. Oh, gosh. <laughs> then you have to trade him to a team that plays in a dome, right? I mean, that'll be the offseason conversation. Yes, it will be. Are you ready for uh, Kirk Cousins? Next season. Oh my uh, gosh! That- I already heard that, dude. I already heard that. As soon as I, that multiple podcasts I listened to were like, ah, I wouldn't be surprised they don't kick the tires on, on uh, Kirk Cousins. Then of course the stories come out oh, about is he taking the minimum. You know, there's a there's a reason why you know that they tried to beg Tom Brady to come out of retirement. You know, before the season started. I'm like, well, of course they did. Brock Purdy was dealing with a torn UCL. That's the reason they were having those conversations. So. Yeah, it all goes down the list. I, by the way, never in a million years that I think that I would be the carrying water for Brock Purdy as my favorite quarterback at all after <laughs> after watching pump fake Purdy for years at freaking Iowa State. You'll be doing that until one drop of water hits the field, and then all of a sudden you've got something to talk about the next day. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, Ship we'll him out. The, yeah. Which up goes? I know. Bring me boring Kirk Cousins. Probably <laughs> so. Colin, always appreciate you, my man. Thanks for the flexibility today, and we'll catch up next week. All right, fellas. That is Colin Kennedy with 24-7 Sports, SoonersIllustrated.com, covering Oklahoma as we get ready for a timeout, along with Jeremy Poplin. I'm Colby Daniels, Scott File on the other side of the glass. Pop has the reins next here on the Blitz 1170, and we are streaming on the Blitz 1170 app.